calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Even when we have to get our hands dirty, we clean up good. It's episode 401 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. If you listened to last week's 400th episode, you heard my review of The Cleaning Lady, the brand new show on Fox. So I thought this week, let's take an even deeper dive into that show with stars Elodie Young and Martha Milan, who are going to talk all about what we've seen so far on The Cleaning Lady and what's to come as well when you watch the show on Fox. And if you need a reason to jump into the show, this conversation might give that to you. Also, DC's Peacemaker now streaming on HBO Max. I'm going to talk to Allison Araya about that. And she's also got another project with Netflix as well that's super, super exciting. Can't wait to dive in and learn more about both of those things from her. Also, you know the Arrowverse back in full force this week. Going to talk about Superman and Lois and Naomi and so many other things in our big reviews this week. Sneak in some nerd news as well. If you're freaking out about the Batman, I'll tell you why you need to chill out a little bit later on. But let's then get things started, shall we? Elodie Young and Martha Milan join me to talk about The Cleaning Lady. Let's talk to them next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Patrick Megan. I'm an executive producer at Family Guy, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So if you're not watching The Cleaning Lady Monday nights at 9 o'clock on Fox, you really, really should be. There's so much good stuff going on in this show. And these two, I swear, we're already having fun and barely even started yet. It's Elodie Young and Martha Milan. Ladies, how are you doing? We're good. How you doing? Thanks for having us. Oh my God. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So again, I was just, I was so taken in by this show right away. One of the things that drew me to the series was the fact that there's so many different and interesting aspects to this story. So what made you both fall in love with this series when you were first getting started? Well, for me, I mean, obviously it being uh, centered on a, in, you know, the Filipino culture, the, the family itself was just something that I'd never read before. So it was so exciting to see that. And obviously being Filipino, there's far and few between roles that are specifically for that. So I really wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. That was the most exciting part. And of course, obviously being Elodie Young on the project, I wanted to, to just jump in on. So... <laughs> You have to know, James, Martha, it was love at first sight, really. So, yeah, on my, at least on my hand, I don't know about (laughs) I can only speak for myself, but. (laughs) No, 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 for me, because we met on Zoom. So it was just like, oh my goodness, I don't even know how we're going to connect with this. So I'm so happy because, yeah, I was the same way too. I was like, oh, she's so fun. (laughs) And I was like, she's brilliant. I I was in in the Zoom audition with Martha 
and you know she was she was one of a, a few girls that went to the the recall for, for Fiona's part and she was the first one in the morning and just like I don't know she was bringing it everything was felt uh, she's such a you know an honest truthful actress and he had an immediate connection through zoom who'd thought of that you know so when we when i knew that she was on board i was like oh this is going to be just brilliant because you know to play with a such a partner because Fiona and Tony are kind of an odd couple they you know they they're like sisters they're sister-in-law but they kind of you know sisters and this bond is kind of the cement of the of the show i think uh, you know those two women they're undocumented and they go through so much for their family and then just knowing that Martha and i will be just you know we'll be right in there during our scenes and it just feels like i don't know and again i only speak for myself james <laughs> but but you know every time on the i know that it's going to be you know one of our scenes with martha it just feels that we're not acting we just we're just there we're there for each other as well and exactly. yeah uh, and i feel her character because i feel you know there's this real tr- real connection between between the two of us and uh, and i think it i'm hoping it you know it it shows for the the relationship fiona and tony have yeah was, for me and yeah, i'm sorry yeah i was just going to say yeah. that it really comes through it really does go ahead martha piggybacking on what elodie said you know basically the minute that i saw her and she had her props and everything on zoom i was like oh we're going to have fun she had a basket of clothes and everything nice. Like, oh nice. yeah we're going to have fun here even though we weren't in life you know in in person with each other straight away i knew we had the same process with working and then just her i i just um her humor i could already sense it so <laughs> for me i was just like okay we're going to we're going to have fun here and you know i i echo everything that elodie has said right now i mean for me just it's just so incredible to work with someone who is just so open and present every time and yeah and i think that's the main thing is like we do we have our back like on set even offset as well i have to say and you know and that's something that just resonates throughout the performances i hope as well you know it's like so it's um it's a love affair as elodie said clearly clearly yeah i i i not it's not just one way she said it Jake. that's yes she did she did say that it's always nice when that's reciprocated that's you know that's, that's always good i'm glad we got that out of the way <laughs> i didn't want to leave her hanging put it no, that you way. don't you definitely don't want no, to do that i anyway, adore adore led so and it seemed genuine too so so there's that this isn't just this is just for for zoom's sake so. <laughs> no you can't even see us it's through our voices there you, there you go it. exactly exactly <laughs> So the show doesn't shy away. You, you touched on this a second ago from your character's undocumented status. So how do you feel like the cleaning lady deals with the real life situations and challenges that many people are facing on a daily basis? I, I feel that, you know, there's, there's the way it's written is quite intelligent because we are shining the lights on those problems. You know, the, uh, these women, they're immigrant, they are undocumented. It touches very important topics, and yet we are in we are in a fiction. You know, there is it's romanticized, and there is the the criminal scene, and it's set in Vegas. So I think this show is is a great combination of thrilling moments and cliffhangers and entertainment. Yet I'm hoping, and this is what I think is the goal. It's like I think that it's it's asking questions and it's it's shining the lights on people that we don't often talk in fiction. So I'm hoping, you know, that it makes people think and it opens conversations. Yeah, I mean, also with everything that Elodie said, you know, it is it's it's uh, it includes all the entertainment value of explosions, drama and everything and then it's cleverly weaving in all these topical relevant issues that people are facing today. But I mean, it's grounded through the relationships of family. Just really, you know, begging the question to everybody of like if you were in that situation, how far would you go? Which is what the show says all the time, how far would you go, you know? And it creates if you do invest in these characters, hopefully, you know, you create the empathy that what, you know, undocumented people go through because I don't think anybody ever wants to be undocumented. I think it's it's the reasons that, you know, people were kind of exploring through the show, which is pretty much throughout the relationships between 
Tony and Fiona and and obviously with Armand and and uh, on his side as well his backstory there's definitely issues of you know immigration and and the transitions that any immigrant has to go through so it's it's highlighting those topics that I think are so relevant today that people you know kind of are fully aware but never really talk about well said, well said. So, Elodie, for you, let's talk about some of that that empathy a little bit here because we see some we see Tony enter some very let's call them morally gray areas in these first mm-hmm. couple of episodes. How do you feel like she struggles with that, or is she really just in a place that she'll do anything for her family regardless? I think this is how I felt it as myself a mother. You know, is I'm hoping, but I know in my guts that I would go. You know, I would go as far as I can to do you know, to save my kid. So I think this is, you know, this is the starting point for for Tony. She wants to save Luca. And then she has, she's confronted to horrific choices. So I do think that every time she's she's facing one of those situations, she she has to deal mentally with her own actions and her own decisions. You know, I, I do think that for her, it's, it's a constant balance of, you know, making those horrible choices. So I don't think it will leave her intact. She won't come out of it just thinking that, uh, you know, she, she's, how can I express it? I do think that it has an impact on how she feels about her actions, but I do think that she follows her sole goal, which is saving Luca. No, I completely agree, you know, in uh, on in what Elodie is saying, it's just that the thought process is just, you know, purely about instinctive, instinctively as a mother to save your son, you're not even questioning your actions. It's just the fact that you're a mother, this is your responsibility. And I think any, I mean, for me, I'm not one. So I, I had to just kind of dig deep, but also, you know, just, just kind of put myself in those shoes of, of mothers who I look at my mother and what she's done for us, you know, it's 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 to what length and nobody questions a mother's actions and I think that's what you know Elodie is going through during those moments it's just it's do or die all, all the time for her son because his her son is in a desperate situation of death so yeah is, is that a good translation Tony? I, I, th- I think you both nailed it I think that that, that <laughs> at least from the outside looking in that seems that seems good to me <laughs> I think that covers it quite well actually I love it I love it Oh, Martha, for you, girl. <laughs> for you, clearly Tony's hiding a big and dangerous secret from Fiona. I keep going back to that first episode where she tells her, where, where, where Fiona says, I'm going to sell drugs to get this better job. And Tony kind of jumps all over for it. And I mean, we see how she reacts to that, to how Tony reacts to that. So how do you feel like Martha's would react? No spoilers, of course, if that secret gets out there and she finally does find out, does that empathy just kind of come through or, or maybe the, would the, maybe there is some pushback there? I mean, obviously, I think there's hypocrisy there and in, in terms of if she's like she's scolding me about doing drugs and what she's doing. But, you know, in, in general, again, it just goes back to why we're doing all of this. This is all about family. I mean, the only reason why Fiona would even think of doing that is for her kids. She wants to get out of her situation. She's been living and hiding for 15 years. And to be constantly surrounded by all that glitz and glamour, you know, and money in Vegas and that she's in under these circumstances, all of them are, you know, of course, there's that that envy or that 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 dream of wanting to get out and any opportunity to do that for her family is a chance and even for Fiona and Tony, you know, and I, I think that's why it, you know, we're not justifying it in any way, but it's just the reasons that we we even kind of contemplate of of going down that direction. Again, it's all about just, you know, protecting our family, really giving um, each other better lives and opportunities. So, but yeah, you know, there, there is that moment of just like, how can you even judge me in your position? And I, you know, I think that's, I think that's happens a lot in families, you know, regardless of whatever, you know, these are extraordinary circumstances that we're facing, but we always judge each other as families because there's that that loving how is it rivalry always kind of thing <laughs> you know in comparison regardless of how much we love each other so I think it's instinctive that that happens absolutely we're talking to Elodie Young and Martha Milan from Fox's The Cleaning Lady which you can watch every Monday 
night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time on Fox. Now, I want to talk about Armand for a second. You guys touched on him a few minutes ago. He's a very interesting character to me because, like, he's a bad guy, but in many ways he's also not a bad guy. So how do you think Tony actually views him at this point? I think, you know, this is a relationship that has a starting point and it goes somewhere else. And they meet in extreme circumstances. She's threatened by them by he represents this criminal syndicate, the mob. And she, in order to save her life, she, she, you know, she, she said that she can clean the, the crime scene. Almost immediately, I think he gets, he has a liking for her for some reason. And we'll, you know, we'll get to understand probably why later. But I think like hopefully the audience gets to see our man, not just for his function, but for the the whole human being, that complex human being that he is. And again, I think that's that's one of the goal of this show is living in the gray areas and showing human beings. You know, I'm not solely, you know, I'm not entire, entirely good or bad. I think we all have layers of good and bad. And I don't think this is about judging. I think it's about looking at behaviors, looking at situations, looking at people in those horrific circumstances and trying to understand them. So they'll get to know each other a little bit more throughout the season and she'll get to discover another side of him, which is not being, you know, almost the head of this crime syndicate. Absolutely. So, Marthy, when you said a few minutes ago that you weren't a mother, that kind of floored me because that makes episode what happened in episode two even more incredible to me when we find out something about Fiona's son, Chris, and, and, and that scene, which was just so incredible and it was so emo- emotional. And being a teenager mm-hmm. is already hard. So you understand mm-hmm. why Chris would be upset. But how do you feel like this is going to affect the relationship going forward? But that, I mean, that was just a brilliant scene on your part. Oh, thank you. I mean, you know, it, it's such an, it, first of all, I mean, the fact that she put him in that situation and then lied, I mean, it, it's it's just so hard to to bear to express that to her son. But I think um, obviously it's it's going to taint their relationship. The trust is no, is no longer there. But I mean, it brings back memories of how I was terrible as a teenager. I mean, like, <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to play the saint here. I definitely was rebellious and quite strong-minded and stubborn um, and, and never really understood my, my parents' point of view. You know, I, I didn't understand that they were struggling as well as immigrants as, and in terms of just like what they're dealing with in, in during the transitions. I was just a very selfish teenager. So during that scene, I just saw myself. I was like, ah, that's me. And I know my mom is like, oh, we remember that. So from in that sense, even though not being a mother, I think from I really tried to step in my mother's shoes of how she felt when I was so combative and so, so annoying. <laughs> I feel like this is a whole other show that we could be doing right now. I don't know. I don't, don't know. Want, want don't to want to put it out road. there. But if, but if Martha ever writes a book, I'm buying it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say, you know, I'm, I'm using all my resources for this. Okay. <laughs> there we go. And, and obviously, you know, I mean, being around Elodie and, and, and um, meeting Nina and uh, just seeing them together. It's just, uh, I always try to draw experiences or just moments from whatever I'm seeing. And, and that it's just the relationships that you have with your, with your children. But I mean, I'm pretty immature as everyone can attest to that onset. So it's like, <laughs> it's easy to, it's easy you're not, to. Oh, you're not immature, you're great fun. And Martha has, <laughs> it's just, just like. There's so, a, so, yeah, there's okay. a big difference oh between my. immature and great fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Full of energy and it just brings, you know, like the whole set is just really fun when Martha's around. It's just. Oh, I totally can't I tell that at all based on this conversation. I, I think it's definitely, <laughs> we, we definitely egg each other on, Elodie and I, on set. Most of the time, everybody's trying to get us to calm down and stuff, and <laughs> we're trying not to laugh. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So one of the things that's really cool about the show to me, too, is that, you know, obviously, Tony's a very skilled, skilled doctor. You've got Fiona, who's built a life for herself for over 15 years in America undocumented and the strength that, that comes from that. So there's a lot of pushback from these ladies as well, though, because the, the people that don't take them seriously. So how how is it 
playing these women that, that are being assertive and, and about the respect that they really deserve because to me, that was something that, that was very cool and surprising for me in the show as well. For me and for, for Tony, there is, she is definitely stripped from her status. She was a, you know, she, she was a doctor, a surgeon in her country. She had to step back to take care of her son. She arrives here. Um, she's stripped again. She, she, you know, she goes undocumented and uh, she needs to take a job to provide, you know, for, for Luca. And so she follows Fiona's lead and get a job as a cleaning lady. So there's a big uh, difference from the person she was in her own country and the person she she becomes uh, here in America. But I'm just thinking that, you know, as much as as this is a hard step to take for her, a greater motivation. And uh, maybe there are moments where, you know, Tony feels that she doesn't, she doesn't get the, the respect that she deserves or that she's known before. But at the same time, when, when you're in survival mode, uh, you just go for what you have to do. And especially when you have a family, you know, I just know that from, you know, in it's different circumstances for my dad, but it was, you know, he had a different life in Cambodia. And the first thing he had to do when he arrived in France was working um, in a supermarket and, and pushing carts. So that was his job. Um, and, you know, and, and I think I never heard him, I don't know, say anything wrong about this. You know, it's just when you already have to go and deal with so much, when you have so much on, on your plate. And I think that's what, you know, that's the parallel that I can do with Tony. She's got so much on her plate. Then she goes and, and does this and she, and she does it with pride, actually. She does it with pride and she does it, you know, the best she can. And she gets on with it because this is what she has to do. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, for me, uh, as, as Fiona, um, it, her strength comes from, I think, just wanting more constantly because she does, I, you know, Tony is a doctor, she's established, and there is that difference in class. And whereas Fiona is just trying to make something of it of herself still and um, trying to find a voice being undocumented and at the same time you know trying to raise her children with integrity knowing that they know that she is illegal so I think the struggle with with that is yeah it's extremely challenging because um, how do you kind of uh, I guess find the pride in in being illegal and at the same time you know telling your kids what to do <laughs> So it, it's about just the actions that we do and the fact that we are putting ourselves uh, through, you know, doing menial jobs uh, in order to really get through life, regardless of what whatever we have to do. And I think it's a testament to to all parents um, just doing what they can for their children, even if it, you know, stepping down from a certain status or, you know, there's so many um, people that I know in New York. It's like you hear so many stories that they they used to be doctors like Tony and them and they're driving taxis or doing doing Lyft and Uber or, or I know my friend, she's, um, she has a degree in economics and she got a green card, but she still had to work in the hotel and clean, clean rooms, you know? So it's not even being illegal. It's just about how this, how thing, the system is, but everybody still comes here for the dream and the opportunities, you know, because it's possible. Really quickly, ladies, before I let you go, obviously the end of episode two, to me, was a really, really big one. We see that Garrett has some photos of, of, of Tony and Armand and, and it looks like things are, and now he's gonna try and turn her to his side. So how much is the end of episode two gonna ratchet up the stress of this show going forward? No spoilers, of course. Well, yes, we're introducing Garrett. Garrett Miller. The <laughs> it's gonna be, it's going to be, how'd you say, a, a game of cat and mouse. He is going to, try to get Tony to be an informant for him because she's already in the uh, crime scene, right? So what can I say to not spoil? This is going to be interesting, you know, this, because also Tony, Tony, Tony will develop a different relationship with Armand. So is she, is she going to be willing to give Armand away? I don't know. I can't tell you right now. <laughs> 
more because I would spoil everything. No spoiling. Father, help! <laughs> I know you're like, wait, what happened? <laughs> no, I for me, you know, seeing being in that scene with Garrett and him being introduced in the, in the bathroom and stuff, I, you can already tell that there's there's another element being added to the show where there is the cat and mouse situation, but it's also heightening the stakes of like you know what Tony is has to deal with whether it has to be the legal side or the underworld and and um I think that yeah I, think, <laughs> I got the thumbs up there <laughs> I think you know there is that she gets pulled in both worlds in terms of doing what's right and what's wrong and that's that's who Garrett represents he's the I mean I don't want to say he's the devil and then Arman is also the angel but he's a mob so it's just like these are this is what Elodie's talking about in terms of the grays in all characters where they may represent a certain thing but they're what how why and what they're doing are the interesting uh, elements of who they are as characters but I mean Fiona already just she's got a you know she's got the nose something's going on there because <laughs> she already got interrogated <laughs> by Garrett so I don't get to I don't get to do too many scenes with Oliver uh, Hudson but when I do they're they're quite they're quite fun (laughs) see that's that's why you need to watch this show you come for the fun you come for the big action you come for the drama there's so much stuff to be around for when you're watching the cleaning lady Monday night 9 p.m eastern on Fox you can also watch episodes again on the Fox app as well Martha Milan, Elodie Young, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, James. Thank you so much. And let me tell you, if you're already hooked on this show, the game is just beginning. There's so much great stuff to look forward to on The Cleaning Lady and so many good performances as well by those two ladies. Just so, so good. And the entire cast really brings it for the rest of the season. So make sure you're watching The Cleaning Lady Monday night on Fox. You won't be sorry that you gave this show a chance if you haven't done that already. You can catch up on the Fox app right now, as a matter of fact. Thank you so much again to Martha Milan and Elodie Young for joining me this week to talk about The Cleaning Lady. So much fun. Up next, another fun conversation, this time with Allison Array. She's going to be talking about DC's Peacemaker and some other stuff that she's involved in. Well, that conversation's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is April Goldie from DC's Doom Patrol, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So there's a lot of great stuff streaming. You already know that, but did you know that there's one particular person that you should be interested in? A couple of things that are streaming this week. DC's Peacemaker on HBO Max and Brazen on Netflix, and she's in them both. It's Allison Araya. Allison, how you doing? Oh, I'm so well. Thank you so much for having me. So exciting week for you then, huh? Yeah, it's a big week. It just so happens that both these shows are coming out the same day. Yeah, which is super fun. So let's start with Peacemaker. I mean, you're certainly Mm -hmm. no stranger to DC TV. You've spent some time on Arrow. You were in Supergirl for a little bit as well. How -hmm. different was your experience on Peacemaker than from the Arrowverse? I think it's a, a different experience because of the Suicide Squad and the feature film version coming out first and just like a bigger world, getting to work with James Gunn was incredible. And obviously John Cena and, and it, was, it was just a completely different experience. Like it was a big opportunity and I was really excited to be on board. Did it just feel bigger? Did it have that like movie aspect to it when you guys were on set? For, for me, it did definitely, you know, obviously not the same budgets as, as a feature film, but I think also starting the show it being a new show and, you know, those first couple of episodes, finding the tone, finding the humor, finding the, the characters. Yeah, that, that part was uh, really unique. Speaking of finding the characters, going into this three episode premiere, we don't know a ton about Amber and her husband, Lenny. So how much can you actually tease for us about, about who they are? Well, I, I, I think this is going to be a really interesting marriage on screen. <laughs> They're not the happiest couple, but they certainly are dynamic. And I think that's all I can say. <laughs> dynamic. And given how this show is, that should be very interesting going into this thing. So you talked about James Gunn. We know how big of a fan of music he is. He's a music nut. So how much does music actually play a role in the series and how fun was that? 
music is another layer of character, I think, in this series. And one of the things that thrilled me about this project was along with the scripts, there was a playlist. So it really helped get into the tone, get into, get into the mind of this world. And uh, it introduced me to some new music as well, which I loved. That's always cool. Do you guys actually hearing the music while you were on set while you were doing scenes? Because I, I know a lot of times you guys don't get to hear the soundtrack while you're shooting, right? Yeah, I, I we did. For one particular scene, there was live music. So that was really cool to have that playback. Very nice, very nice. So now the running joke, speaking of the Suicide Squad, the running joke with John Cena was that he spent the majority of the time either in his peacemaker suit or in his underwear. Was that true of this show as well? And what was it like working with John? Well, I think you're going to have to wait and see and, and watch and see just how much time he spends in his, his tidy whities if indeed he does. And working with John was incredible, like incredible. He's hilarious and so professional. I had a blast. I had a really memorable, memorable time working on the show. Excellent. Excellent. So it's easy to kind of look at this series and you see the humor, you see the intense action and stuff like that. But much like the Suicide Squad, do you feel like this movie brings some interesting social commentary to the table as well? 100%. I think, you know, within the superhero world, there's so much room for social commentary. And I think Peacemaker definitely has elements of that, you know, peppered throughout the entire series. And I think audiences are going to really dig that. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the other project that you've got going on this week. And that is Brazen on Netflix, which is actually an adaptation for anybody that doesn't know of the mm -hmm. Nora Roberts book. Brazen Virtue, and if you don't know Nora Roberts, you're not paying attention because she's got like a thousand books. So yeah. what's the most interesting aspect of this story for you? I mean, to be honest, working with Alyssa Milano was was a real treat. I remember growing up and watching her and always like, I, she was one of my idols. Like she was one of the reasons why I was so enamored with acting when I was a kid. So to get a, a chance to work with her was uh, was really sweet. And working with Monica Mitchell, a uh, brilliant director, the cast was amazing. And to bring the story to life was was great. So were you introduced to, for Alyssa Milano? Were you a who's the boss fan or were you a charmed fan? Because it's usually one or the other. Or are you going to surprise me with something that I'm not thinking about? No, no, I was a big Who's the Boss fan. 100%. There you go, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I love that. I love that. So talking about your character a little bit, it seems like Captain Rivera doesn't have an easy job. You know, since we, we've seen the trailer that she's dealing with serial killer now in this particular mm -hmm. instance, just how difficult is this case going to get? You know, it's it's a juicy one, definitely. It's intriguing. The second I read the script, I thought, wow, this is uh, this is a great story. I think for for Captain Rivera, this being in collaboration with this author and taking this case and working together, huge new opportunity. And, you know, it's not the way usually run cases, but the outcome is 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 what we want. Oh, I can only imagine. Now, you talked <laughs> about Alyssa Milano and her character, Grace McCabe. We saw in the trailer that she's kind of want to get involved with the investigation and always makes me wonder in these situations. Is Captain Rivera just kind of open to her being a part of this or is she like you know get out of my way let us do our job and you know you're just going to be in the way here sort of thing well i think you know very much following protocol you know this isn't the norm and so having that assistance that outside assistance come in definitely shakes things up but i think you know the virtue of having her part of it and her expertise as an author and being able to collaborate really helps the case overall so i think that's where you know that collaboration that is uh, non-traditional can can help. How do you feel like this the, this that this project balances that too, though? Because obviously, you know, if you or I rolled up into a police station and said, "Hey, I want to help," they'd probably say, "Get out of here." So how do and you see this a lot too? And sometimes it's done well, and sometimes it's it's not done as well. How do you feel like this show helps? Obviously, this is fiction, but how do you feel like it brings a little bit of a true aspect to this as well? You know, that's really interesting. I think there's a community out there of online sleuthers that do have, who have made, you know, serious contributions to cases. And so I think, you know, there are instances where outside perspective or outside help can actually help an investigation. And I mean, that's not always the case, obviously, but I do think that there are some instances where it can help in this, this particular show, it really does highlight an instance where it does, it does definitely help. 
I mean, just look at Unsolved Mysteries, which is also streaming on Netflix right now. You can you can take that as an as an example of that from over the years and even now too, as a matter of fact. So I guess that that could be the case as well. For sure. I was thinking about this as I was as I was getting ready to talk to you and looking at the projects that you're doing, and I'm thinking there there's a little bit of an overlap here. I think so. Other than just being a fan of yours, which is you know a natural connection, <laughs> why do you think fans of Peacemaker would also enjoy Brazen and vice versa? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, as a character actor, I have had the incredible privilege of jumping from different genres and, and working in an array of, of different projects. So I think anyone interested in following my work, you know, is always going to get like a big mishmash of some comedy, some drama, some superhero stuff. And, you know, I'm always having a good time everything I do. <laughs> so, you know, like you said, you've done so many really cool things. You've been in a part of Riverdale. You've been on Nancy Drew and some other things as well. Is there anything or any particular character, any project you'd really like to go back and revisit revisit at some point? I mean, I had so much fun with Julie and the Phantoms, and that was definitely a show that I hoped, you know, we'd, we'd have more opportunities to tell more of that story. So that that's a character that's always going to stay near and dear to my heart. You know, given a chance to step into Amber again, I would do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> I think a lot of fans are with you on that, too. So we'll have to keep our fingers crossed for, hey, you never know, right? You just exactly. never know. So, <laughs> Allison, before I let you go, I'm sure there's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun working on shows and movies like Peacemaker. When the cameras aren't rolling as well, I know when that's a lot when a lot of the fun happens. So did you have any fun behind-the-scenes stories that you could share with us? Or any, any pranksters on set? Or were you guys not able to really do a whole lot of that stuff? No, I mean, it was, we were finding our feet. We, you know, we shot the first couple of uh, episodes. And so everyone's working it out. But I can tell you that it was a fun, really entertaining set to be on. I think audiences are going to that joy is going to translate 100% on screen. And I think fans are going to be in for a real big treat with this show. The first three episodes of Peacemaker are actually now streaming on HBO mm -hmm. Max. So you could dive right into that big time. Also brazen streaming on Netflix as well, which looks like a really cool. I'm already trying to figure out the mystery just based on the trailer alone. <laughs> and I can't wait to dive in that into that as well. It's Allison Araya. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank to talk you. To I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I can tell you that the Peacemaker series is just as wild and crazy and, and fun as Allison described it as. If you've already streamed the first few episodes on HBO Max, you know what I'm talking about. It's going to be a wild, fun ride this entire season. And getting to see Amber and it, 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 just that first scene alone with them, I, I thought was really, really fun. And that's just the tip of the iceberg for DC's Peacemaker, which is now streaming on HBO Max. And yeah, I'm getting ready to hit play on Brazen as well on Netflix. Can't wait to dive into that mystery too. Again, thanks to Allison Araya for joining me this week to talk about DC's Peacemaker and Brazen and all kinds of other cool stuff that she's got going on. Up next, going to dive into some reviews and start with the season two premiere of Superman and Lois. I'm James Witham and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Chris Vance from Supergirl and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Truth, Justice, and Family Ties as well. The season two premiere of Superman and Lois has come and gone on the CW. And I wanted to give a spoiler-filled review of what I thought of the season two premiere. And just the emotional value of this show just continues to be spot on as far as I'm concerned. And for a Superman show, it says a lot. Well, Superman and Lois Lane show. Let me correct myself there. It says a lot that... This show can be so relatable to everyday life. And, and, and that is something that doesn't bog down the show. It actually enhances the show. Like seeing, you know, how Clark and Lois are struggling with their family. And, you know, Lois is actually carrying a pretty heavy burden with everything that went down with John Henry and, and Natalie and, and Natalie showing up. And Lois carrying some guilt for how she reacted in that situation that we saw at the end of the season one finale last season and, you know, kind of indirectly lashing out at Clark and her family in regards to that. And, and, you know, dealing with everything that comes with that, I thought was really, really interesting. And they really just kind of dealt with that in the one episode and didn't drag it out. Although we could see it drag out a little bit more, I think, throughout the season. And then, of course, Jonathan getting caught in his compromising position there. Awkward, right? But again, True to life, how do you react if your parents? And then Clark's going to have, like, the talk, and the teenagers are know, and know that the talk is coming. 
sort of thing. So that was a really fun, awkward moment in the episode. Maybe shouldn't have been funny, but it certainly was. And then you see Jordan and, and you know, Sarah's it's come back. She's been away and he kind of overdoes it a little bit and it freaks her out a bit. And again, true to life to relationships when you're that age, if you remember, you know, back then or maybe that age now and you're, and you're understanding that you're that you know, that's sometimes how it goes. But I think that that's one of the things I love about this show the most is that it has those super elements. It still has that comic book series feel, but it also has these deep, you know, real life moments in it that just shine through so much. But you see that Clark's relationship with the U.S. government is becoming strained and he saves that North Korean sub and you automatically know, right, this is going to be a problem, right? But again, Clark is an equal opportunity hero. He wants to make sure that he saves everyone and does, and isn't tied to to any, you know, geopolitical happenings or anything. And for the government, that is a problem. It's like, you know, choose America or don't, but suffer the consequences if you choose not to sort of thing. So that is certainly tension that's going to ramp up throughout the entire season. And is the government involved with the earthquake that we saw in Smallville? Are they not? It was certainly a lot of hints there. Certainly plenty of hints to say that they were. And what was that that we saw at the end of this first episode of season two? Could they be hinting at a major, and I do mean major, Superman villain that has caused the Man of Steel more than his fair share of headaches over his tenure? Because, And I think you know who I'm talking about. I'm, I can't say it, but I, I think you know who I'm talking about, but there's certainly other directions that they can go with this as well. But how does Clark ultimately end up dealing with the fact that he's taking this heat from the U S government? Cause he, you know, he's standing tall. There's no doubt about that. And he's saying, you know, Hey, you're not going to stop me from saving lives that need saving. And it, and it didn't necessarily directly affect, you know, any military operation or anything like that. But I do know one thing. If you mess with Smallville, then you mess with Clark Kent. You mess with Superman. That is for sure. And I I really am starting to dig this dynamic between John Henry and and Natalie. And obviously, again, hard being a teenager, hard being a teenager in Smallville, hard being a teenager that just crash landed on a planet that she doesn't know anything about in a timeline that she doesn't know anything about. So, I mean, pile all that on the shoulders of Natalie and yeah, she's going to be a little upset, but then it's interesting when she gets introduced to Clark's family and when, and when she and Lois have, have their moment their their I don't want to call it reconciliation, but almost like a, a bit of a bonding moment there. The whole, you know, I'm not really a mom, but I want to be, I want to get to know you sort of thing. And then she sees how well welcoming the Kent family is That to me, that moment and just you see the relief and just all of so much angst just fall right off of her shoulders in that moment. I thought that was a really, really powerful moment. And and again, a great emotional moment in an episode of a Superman series that also has plenty of intrigue and action going on in it as well. So, yeah, yet another great premiere for Superman and Lois, I think season two has the potential to be even better than season one was. And season one was pretty damn good. So do not discount this show as, again, one of the top shows of the year. Superman and Lois, which you can watch every Tuesday night on The CW going forward. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the season two premiere of Superman and Lois. Got another premiere to talk about. It happened on the same night. Naomi. Just premiered from DC as well. Talk about that next. Full of spoilers on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is John Sipos from Krypton, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. In case you hadn't heard, another brand new DC comic series has headed to the CW. Naomi premiered this past week, so yeah, you know it's time for my spoiler-filled review of the premiere. And I gotta say that I remember reading the Naomi comic when it first came out from Brian Michael Bendis. And company, and, and and I gotta say, I was taken in by it right away, just because of how infectious of a personality that Naomi had, and how likable of a character she was. And boy, did that transfer 
onto the screen. And, you know, that that ha- a lot of the credit for that has to go to Casey Walfall. You also have to give a lot of credit to Ava DuVernay and, and company who put on this show because that was the one key thing that I needed from this series was for that character to translate as being such the, the, the likable character that she was in the comics. And, and that she is, really. I shouldn't say was because she absolutely is. She embodies that on the screen and you see that, you know, she's got a lot going on. She's a smart kid. She gets along with pretty much everybody. And that's, that's one of the things I really like about this, this story right off the bat is that usually, you know, you've got the, you've got your protagonist, you've got your antagonist. And it's usually the, you know, the, the one girl's, you know, you know, she's a little bit nerdy, but she's also kind of popular. But then you've also got the other girl that's like jealous of her or whatever, and they just don't like each other. We don't really see that. Not in this first episode, anyway. You don't, you don't really see that. And I love that that's really not a focus of the story. It's more about who Naomi is, where she comes from, as we find that out as the show goes on, and her circle of friends as well. I think that it's really cool that they surrounded her with such a great cast and such a great circle of friends. Around her, she's got her best friend, Annabelle. At least I think that's her best friend. Anyway, you, you, if you've read the comics, you know who Lourdes is. And, and I thought I think that Camilla Moreno, in, in, in short work, did a really good job with that. And that'll be interesting going forward. I thought that Alexander Wraith was excellent as D. And you get that bit, you know, the when the... Again, big spoilers here. When the wings pop out at the end. And he just does such a great job at presenting himself as this mysterious figure that maybe has the answers, maybe doesn't sort of thing. So I really, really liked that. I think that the relationship between Naomi and Nathan is an interesting one. There's a lot of great chemistry there between Casey and Daniel Puig's, Daniel Puig's character. So that was really, really nice. Just This just was a show that was, I think, cast very well and presented very well. And even though there's a little bit of a rivalry there between Nathan and Anthony, you don't really see that being all that combative. And again, refreshing in that, yes, there is a little bit of, you know, Hannah like this dude because you like this dude sort of thing going on. They, they, at the end of the day, they all seem to get together and kind of just rally around Naomi. And that's just... It, you know, we'll find out what her powers are. I mean, if you read the comics, you kind of know what her powers are. But what what her real power is, I think, is to bring people together. As corny as that sounds, it, is that everybody wants to be around her. She's just this magnet for positivity and for people just wanting to be around her and wanting the best for her. And I think that that's really, really neat. And what I do think we're going to get at some point is... The confrontation with the parents, though, because obviously the parents know more than they're letting on. You you see the mystery start to unravel. She finds the newspaper and knows that something happened on her adoption day. She has a confrontation with Zumbato in the woods, and she knows that something's going on with him as well. So and there, there's a lot of good intrigue in this show. There's a lot of really likable characters and it's just fun, quite frankly. And I know that, that maybe this isn't this show isn't going to be everybody's cup of tea, but it's just a fun show with some likable characters, and it's a great coming-of-age story with, with a kid that's just a good kid and that, you know, loves Superman, and hey, don't we all, right? And, you know, it's funny. You call the, you know, one of the Superman's nicknames over the years has been the Big Blue Boy Scout, and she really seems to embody that sort of you know, just plain good persona Naomi does. And, and I just love that about her. And it's almost like a, hey, if you're going to model, your, model yourself after Superman, you've done a darn good job in presenting yourself as such. Now, I'm sure there's going to be some combative moments as she starts to, you know, unravel the mystery of who she is and where she came from and things like that. And and I don't think that's going to affect her ability to be a likable character at all, but this is just one of those shows you could tell it's just getting started. You could tell this is a show that, if if written well, and I have no doubt that it will be, has a really really bright future and a cast that's really coming into their going to come into their own. I think in the next few episodes. So make sure you're watching Naomi Tuesday night nine o'clock on the CW. I don't think you'll be sorry that you did. 
Let's get into my spoiler-filled review of Naomi, the series premiere. Up next, speaking of the CW, some interesting nerd news to talk about. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Echo Callum, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. The heroes of tomorrow are about to get a very familiar teacher. It's time for nerd news, and a very surprising bit of news from the CW, first reported by Deadline, is that David Ramsey is going to be headlining a new series called Justice You on the CW. You know who John Diggle is. I don't need to explain that to you. I'm not going to talk down to you here. I will tell you that the series seems to center around Diggle on a new mission. He's going to recruit five young metahumans. They're going to live undercover as freshmen at a prestigious university, and he's going to oversee their education and train them to become the heroes of tomorrow. Now, when I first heard about this series, I thought to myself, okay, we're going to get a bunch of familiar faces. Diggle's going to put a young team together. I figured it's going to be a young team anyway, and we're going to go from there. And I'm thinking, you know, this is a great way to maybe bring Mia Queen back into the mix. Then I read this description, and Mia's clearly too old to be a part of Diggle's team, I would think, anyway. So, you know, kind of where do you go from here? And and part of me is a little disappointed. And then part of me is like, you know what? You need to let the Mia Queen thing go. I mean, that's a character, Catherine McNamara. We saw her in the Flash Armageddon event. And you think, okay, they're bringing her back into the fold. Or they're reminding people about the Green Arrow and the Canaries pilot that was just not picked up. The soft pilot in that series that didn't go forward. And then you get this. And I think that this is a way to maybe move on from that. Maybe I I just need to let it go because that's a show that I really wanted to see. But this is interesting because do do you go for names that you know from the comics or do you kind of brush that off and go ahead and introduce all new characters altogether? Because there's pluses and minuses to doing either or of those things. And maybe there'll be a little bit of a mix of both. Because if you give me brand new characters, there's intrigue there that I think is really interesting. And I think that you could really, really make something out of. Because it wouldn't be the first time that they sort of created new characters or had characters that were inspired by other characters that we already knew. That wouldn't be surprising at all. But at the same time, you know, Diggle is a good name if you're an Arrowverse fan. But I think you need something else. I think you need at least another name or another familiar character to kind of drive this thing forward to make people go, oh, yeah, I want to make sure that I see that. Now, who that's going to be, I'm not sure at this point because, I mean, it's anybody's guess, especially things, since things are in the early going. And this is not a direct-to-series order either. This is a pilot order. We saw how that worked out for Wonder Girl. We saw that how that worked out for the Powerpuff Girls. We saw how that worked out for Green Arrow and the Canaries and many other series that were supposed to be going to the CW. So, you know, you got to pump the brakes on this one a little. But I do think, and by the way, John Diggle himself, David Ramsey, would be directing the pilot. Of course, he's directed several episodes of Arrowverse series already. So, you, that, again, that's another bonus when you've got David Ramsey on board and, ha- and you have somebody that can be at the helm for that as well and really just go all in. On this thing, but I have all the confidence in the world in David Ramsey, both in the director's chair and starring in this series. And I think you know it's the it's the regular cast of characters behind the scenes for your Arrowverse series with Berlanti and company. So here's the deal. I mean, I think that this is a good idea on paper, but I think I've got I've got to find out who some of these characters are going to be before I can really give this thing a full vote of confidence. Looks like there's not. A ton of confidence is not as much as there used to be anyway in the Batman after fans have found out what the rating is going to be. And I'm rolling my eyes and you can't see that right now. But the Batman is going to be rated PG-13 and people are freaking out. Look, I understand you wanted this to be rated R. This is why, I mean, I don't get why people hug the R rating for all that it's worth. And really, really just get have their heart set on it. And then it gets ripped out of their chest and lit on fire when you don't get what you want. This movie will not be defined by its rating. Just because it's not going to have the really gruesome, 
effect that you thought it was going to be? That it was going to be Saw with a cowl? No, that's never what this movie was going to be. It is a noir-style story, which those can be pretty freaking dark, by the way. You don't need an R rating to get that darkness. And I don't understand why everybody thinks you do. I, I don't... The fact that you automatically thought, based on the trailer, that this thing was going to be rated R, and and it just didn't work out for you, I, I don't understand. I don't understand that. I, it makes me think of a movie, The Prestige. Remember that? It was Christian Bale, I think, and Hugh Jackman were in that movie together. And, and again, it may, very much an apples and oranges comparison. I understand that. But it was another kind of, you know, almost noir Type story it was Christopher Christopher Nolan movie, and Scarlett Johansson was in it as well. That's right. So that movie had some very dark tones and very dark elements. That was PG thirteen, and that was a fantastic movie, in my opinion. I thought it was a precursor to Nolan taking over as as you know the helm of of a Batman trilogy too. By the way, so it, this can be done in PG-13, and it can be done really, really well. If that ruins it for you, and if, if you just can't get that super, you know, serial killer effect for the Riddler that you wanted because it's PG-13, I think you're underestimated. Just because you're not seeing gore and there's not F-bombs being dropped all over the place doesn't mean it's not going to be a good movie. You can have dark. You can have disturbing. You can have so many things in a PG-13 movie and push the envelope and things don't have to be rated R to be good. I know that you think that this is a missed opportunity. I think it's just something you need to let go, quite frankly, because this rating is not going to define what this movie is. What they're trying to define is a Batman of the future that they're going to have in Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz being the future as Catwoman and all of these other things and trying to build a new Batman universe. And quite frankly, having a PG-13 rating opens that up to so many different audiences. And I don't think that you need to shy away from that fact, first of all. And second of all, I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves, right? I know you've been waiting for a rated R Batman movie and maybe we'll get one at some point in the future. Maybe this just isn't the story for that. Maybe you need to wrap your head around that. Even though this Riddler character looks deep and creepy and just awful as far as, as, far, as, far as a serial killer goes, maybe this just isn't the right time for a rated R Batman movie. We'll get to Zoe Kravitz again here in just a second. But first, I want to talk about Disney sending another Pixar movie to Disney+. And Turning Red is going to be that movie coming out in March that's going to be sent to Disney Plus, and I mean, this has been an ongoing trend during the pandemic of Pixar movies being sent to the streamer instead of to the theaters. And I know that there are people that are wor- that have worked on these movies tirelessly and that are very upset by this. I understand that. I I, I understand that fans are freaking out that this is a growing trend for Pixar. But I'm going to say what's going to be, again, really uncomfortable to hear and might make some people very upset. First things first, and that is that it's not like some of these Pixar movies have been the Pixar movies of old, right? I think once Pixar, I think Pixar had a lot of hits in the early going and a lot of great storytelling. And... I think that's diminished over time, and we don't want to admit that. And that's the uncomfortable truth of the whole thing, unfortunately, is that the Pixar movies just, to me, aren't what they were in the early going. And I know what you're thinking, and I'm just going to come out with it right now. This has nothing to do with more diverse characters, stories being told. This is just my opinion on the quality of the movies that they're putting out and they're just and quite frankly they're not they're not as fun to me anyway. I thought Luca was good though. I thought Luca was a story that that probably deserved the theatrical treatment and got the rug pulled out from under it. So I, I think that Pixar has every right to be upset about Luca. But but again, was that on the same level as like a Toy Story? I don't know that it was. And before you say, well that's not a fair comparison, why not? 
Shouldn't you be able to hit that level of quality? I think that they built that reputation over the years of constantly hitting that level of quality, and now they're just struggling to find that. And while Turning Red looks cute and it looks like a fun movie and it's going to be a great movie for kids, it just doesn't have that, wow, I really need to see that factor that Pixar used to have with every movie. And I think you can you can be upset about not going to the theater, and that's justified from a worker standpoint. But from a fan standpoint, first of all, it's going to be easier to watch it at home with your kids, is it not? So I don't think if you're a parent, you're complaining about this, right? And, you know, not being able to see it on the big screen. Okay, what are you missing from turning red that you need to see on the big screen? Because I'm not seeing it. And I know that maybe I'm not the right guy to ask because I am the, you know, very few movies need to be seen on the big screen kind of guy. And, hey, even Ben Affleck came out and said recently that he thinks the only movies that are going to go to theaters are big budget blockbusters and Marvel movies and stuff like that. And I've been saying that for the better part of, what, two years, three years, five years since I've been doing this show? Who knows? So that's something that we just need to wrap our head around and accept at this point. And family movies are just one of those things that, yes, can draw huge numbers at the box office. But is every single one of them one that needs to be seen in the theater? I'm just not sure that it is. So I get why Pixar employees would be upset about this. But at the same time, at some point, you get to turn inward and say, are we telling the same high quality of stories that we used to? The animation's always good. But are the stories as good as they used to be, in my opinion, is... I don't think they've been hitting that benchmark recently. A couple of trailers that I want to talk about. Speaking of Zoe Kravitz, she has a new movie coming to HBO Max on February the 10th, and that is Kimmy. Kimmy being the smart speaker that, you know, maybe may or may not be spying on our lives sort of thing. That That's going to be a part of this. But basically, she thinks that she hears a murder in one of these recordings that she that she interprets. And that then and then there she goes down the rabbit hole of that mystery and finding out if this woman needs help or not. One of the things I love other than Zoe Kravitz's character, which I mean, she seems, you know, paranoid, determined. She's got, there's so many things going on with this character and it looks like it's going to have some interesting depth to it. So I think that's going to be really interesting, but Rita Wilson playing sort of this evil care. I don't want to say evil, but you know, shady character. You don't get to see Rita Wilson in that role ever. And I'm here for that. I think that that's going to be super, super interesting. And I think that this movie is going to, you know, maybe raise some questions about the connected world that we live in, but also, you know, just be a fun thriller that, you know, it's a like a race against, against the clock sort of thing that, you know, it's, don't get too deep in thought about this one. Yeah, it might, it might be a good, you know, conversation starter type movie, but at the same time, maybe you just sit back and have fun with this one and not try to overthink it and make it, you know, an Oscar contender or anything like that. <laughs> Maybe it is, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. But, you know, don't, again, we overthink movies so much nowadays because we want everything to be awards caliber. If you'd like it, what's wrong with that? And I think that Kimmy is going to be one of those movies. We'll find out February 10th when it comes out on HBO Max. If you're a Bob's Burgers fan, oh, I'm sure you're excited about the Bob's Burgers movie, which is going to be Memorial Day weekend. That's May the 27th. And that's when that movie is going to be coming out. And basically, the trailer doesn't say give us a whole lot about the movie. It just, you know, if you're a fan of Bob's Burgers, you already know the fun that you get with this family and, and people that are surround them, surrounding themselves with this family and, and the voice cast that's involved. I think the trailer was more for people that don't watch Bob's Burgers and kind of introducing them quickly to this family. And like, hey, if you haven't been watching this show, maybe you come see the movie and you'll get hooked on the show that way. So what's really happening, what we really find out is in the synopsis, and basically what happens is a ruptured water main has, creates this huge sinkhole in front of the Bob's Burgers, and it blocks the entrance. And, you know, this is right before the big summer push when the Belchers are making a lot of their money. So the business is struggling, and they're trying to figure out a way to keep it above water, pun intended. And basically there's this mystery that the kids are trying to solve as well. That could save the family restaurant. And there's going to be some dangerous stuff. There's going to be some fun stuff involved as well. And basically it's just going to be the fight for this family. And to get their business to survive. So I mean that's, that sounds deep. But I'm sure that everyone involved is going to find a way. To make it so it's not that deep at all. 
and it's just a fun ride with this family. So, I, you know, the, this show is more popular than I ever realized than the one I went to Comic-Con my first year. I saw the crowd around the Bob's Burgers table, and I was like, hold on a second. This show is a lot bigger than I expected. So I'm surprised this took as long as it did to happen. But, hey, Memorial Day weekend this year, barring any unforeseen circumstances, the Belchers are hitting the big screen, and I think that's something to be excited about. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guests, Elodie Young and Martha Milan from The Cleaning Lady on Fox. Also, Allison Araya from DC's Peacemaker and Netflix's Brazen. So, so many fun moments with the both of them. Make sure you're following along with us on social media as well, at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram, and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Don't forget also, we're online at downandnerdypodcast.com and you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.